Here we are now. And today, I'd like to talk about integration. This is a very deep subject. It's very foundational. And it's something that goes into all aspects of your inner being. It's a meta-principle that you can apply to many things, many situations, many dynamics. Integration is, well, it's a little bit mysterious. It's a little bit funny. It's one of those things that sometimes hard to put into just a few words. And we've all heard about it. We all know that we need to be more integrated. And there are times when we need to do some integration. But here, in this conversation, I'd really like to make that more concrete, more clear, as we discuss some of the principles, categories, and dynamics of integration. Integration is not quite like mastery. Mastery is, well, when you're trying to master something, you need to have some sense of control over it or productivity with it or ability or skill, these sorts of things. And mastery is a word that can be applied to lots of things. We can apply it to the external world as well as the internal world. You can have mastery of skills that appear in the physical world, in real objects, in real tangible ways. And you can have mastery in the inner world, in those less tangible, more etheric spiritual, might I say, dare I say, sort of way. It might be psychology or any sort of different part of the inner world. But integration is not quite like that. It's not exactly mastery. It's not exactly mastery in that you don't work on something and become really good at it, and then it's really obvious that you've got it, And it's applied to certain things. And as we go along, we might find that, well, mastery does apply to some of the things that integration also does apply to. And we might be able to say that integration is part of mastery. It's a smaller piece. But it's hard to say exactly which is a higher virtue of being integrated or being a master. Another comparison we can make is that of navigation. So when we talk about reality as such a big, vast thing and small, poor old me in the middle of it, we can come to terms with that predicament partly by talking about navigation. And, well, 
What is navigation? It's going around different places. It's successfully seeing where you started and where you ended up and where you're going. And there's both external navigation of actually going around places. And then there's internal navigation of going around your thoughts and your feelings and your subjective experience of what's happened to you, is happening to you. And there's also social sphere navigating. Who do you talk to? How do you interact with people? Your relationships and so on. So navigation is, like mastery, a broad term which can fit a lot of different things into it. It's a epi phenomenon or an epi principle, a meta principle, a principle that is applied to multiple situations, concepts, thoughts, components of beings, categories. So it's going to take a bit of a bit of legwork. It's going to take a bit of understanding for you to really wrap around this. If there's a certain, how should we say, this conversation is selective. If you can follow along with this conversation, you need to have at least some amount of complexity already realized in you. You need to be able to think abstractly. And if mastery makes sense to you, and how I describe it, and navigation makes sense to you, is how I describe it, then you can possibly quite easily understand what we say here about integration. And with these meta-principles, we can see how they overlap. We can see how maybe mastery is better suited in some situations and navigation is better in others and integration is for others. But they all have that sort of extra thing about them. that They're, they're slightly beyond, slightly abstract, slightly more like you're the god in the cloud pulling the strings. You're the thing way off somewhere else working with a recipe or a machine or an organism or a story. You're being the story writer, not the character in the story when you're using these meta-principles. And the story being that of the story of existence and the machine and the organism being that of existence and you being God. So that's a sort of a few pinpoints of contrast to integration between mastery and navigation. And we can brainstorm more. I don't want to get too far off on my list of... This is not a list of <laughs> epi... What, what, do we, what are we calling it? We're calling it uh, meta-principles. <laughs> this is not a list of meta-principles. And maybe someday we'll be able to do that and come up with more. That could be fun. But it just goes to show, and this, this is something I'll say again and again, that 
these descriptions are not exhaustive. They're because they're meta principles, you can populate it in many different ways. You can fill it out. The content, it, it's structural. What we're talking here is structural, not terms in, in terms of the content. So if the structure is like the, well, the structure of a house, you've got the beams and the supports, and then the content is what goes in the house or what goes on the walls. Or, well, maybe a better way of saying it would be that the house is the structure and what goes in the house is the content. You can put all sorts of different furniture in and all sorts of different books or music CDs. <laughs> That's what's in my room. But it doesn't matter how much you change the inside, the structure is going to say this, stay the same. The structure of the building stays the same. Which means these qualities can be applied in many different ways, which we'll see. And I'll give examples as we go along. So... We've got four qualities of integration. And I've chosen a couple of categories that these qualities can be applied to. So qualities are the principles of integration. And if we say integration is a meta-principle... Well, then these are the principles within that principle, within that meta-principle. And in a funny way of looking at it, the qualities of integration are also meta-principles, just in a slightly different level, if we can put it that way. It's almost like if we've got meta-meta-principles. These are the meta-principles. So, here we go for four qualities of integration. Number one, move in and out freely. If something is integrated, you can move into it and out of it freely. If something is integrated, it moves in and moves out freely. Number two. Know it may reoccur or may not. So maybe more simply you can say, it may reoccur or it may not reoccur. If something is integrated, it may reoccur or it may not. If you have integrated something into you, you know that it might happen again or it might not happen again. And you're okay with that. There's a sense of grounding to that. And when we say no, as in knowing... You know it, and you've also made peace with it. There's something more than just acknowledging it. It's not an acknowledgement. It's actually a realization of it. So if something is integrated, it may reoccur 
or may not reoccur. Number three, if something is integrated, it can collapse, hold, and create contradictions. If something is integrated, it can collapse contradictions, hold contradictions, and create contradictions. And they're all to do with contradictions, these three parts of contradictions in this third point. And collapsing a contradiction, well, it's like resolving it. It's like you see a contradiction, or you see two things that don't go together, and then you create an explanation of how they do go together, how they do work. And actually you can sort of sometimes bend one a little bit, or you can do a different definition on one, or you can change one, or you can create an elaborate explanation, or you can use some unseen knowledge to explain a contradiction, to find a collapsing of the contradiction, which means to uh, to be resolving the contradiction. We just call that collapsing a contradiction. And then holding a contradiction. Well, this is different. Holding a contradiction doesn't create an explanation. Holding a contradiction does not resolve the contradiction. When you see a contradiction and you hold it, you say, yes, that is a contradiction. There is no explanation for it. There's no unseen knowledge, there's no redefinition, there's no elaborate, there's not an elaborate explanation on earth anywhere that can resolve it. It's an unresolved contradiction. We can say we've got resolved contradictions and unresolved contradictions. And the resolved contradictions are the collapsing of the contradiction and the unresolved contradiction is the holding of the contradiction. You maintain the contradiction. And the third part of this third point is create contradictions, which is where you see something and then, well, you see the opposite of it as well. And this needs to be done very importantly with these first two components of the third point, which is collapsing and holding contradictions. You look at something, you see its explanation, you see how you relate to it, how you think about it, and then you can dream up the opposite. You can see the opposite. And a simple way to do this is to walk around and say, what's the opposite of that? What is the opposite of a mirror? That's okay. I'm not going to turn this into a <laughs> I'm not going to turn this into a guided contemplative episode. Here we're strictly talking theoretic theoretical. So you can save what's the opposite of a mirror for your contemplation later on today. 
But basically, when you're looking for contradictions, you're just saying, well, what's the opposite of that? Or what's in, what is this in contrast to? Or what would nullify this? Or what would veto this? What would, what would make this non-applicable? And there's so many ways in, this, in which this applies, which we'll see when we get to some examples. And you can see that actually some people take this as a central standpoint, like what's the opposite? This is the contradiction. I'm creating contradictions. They go around creating all sorts of contradictions. The skeptic, the, the debunker. What's, what's the name for a, someone who does debunking? Cultural critic or a social commentator. I'm debunking this. When someone says, I'm debunking this, it means they're contradicting it. And yet they're not also seeing, well, maybe they are, but sometimes they're not seeing also the holding of contradictions and the collapsing of contradictions. So that's our third point. And the fourth point, the fourth quality of integration is to recognize correct and incorrect forms. And this one's a little bit tricky because we don't, we don't entirely have a word for it. I've used the, the, the polarity of correct and incorrect, but we could have also said effective or ineffective or beautiful or ugly or functioning or dysfunctional. It's almost like a little bit mysterious, this one. is You, you want to... Be able to recognize when it is in a form. Let's get a bit mystical for a moment here. Let's say it's like this. You want to see it's in if it's in a form in which God intended it to be in. Is this how it was meant to be when God created it? That's one way of looking at it. But but if you bring God into it, it can get a bit confusing. Like, oh, I don't like God. It's a useless idea. I'm secular. I'm a rationalist. I don't believe in God. But so, so maybe this isn't the best approach. Maybe something else works for you. But the point is you're trying to see if it is as it should be and also see how it's not as it should be. It's a correct or incorrect kind of approach. And that's why I've called this fourth point, recognize correct or incorrect. But just know that I don't like those words. It's a, The words here we're putting onto this principle are very much more limited than the principle itself. So recognize, let's say we could have called it recognized beauty or ugly, beautiful or ugly. So if you're taking notes for this one, this is a pretty dense, this is pretty dense stuff. So if you're taking notes, write down the four qualities of integration. Number one, move in and out freely. Number two, no, it may reoccur or not. Number three, collapse, hold, and create contradictions. 
And number four, recognize correct and incorrect forms. And you can put in bracket next to correct and incorrect, beautiful and ugly, or some other some other dichotomy. You can say good and evil. Whenever you whenever whenever you have a dichotomy, that's two. It's a polar opposite that we're applying to a situation. And that's different to point three, where we've actually got three points. So point three is hold, collapse, and create. That's a three. What's a what's the what's a three point dichotomy? A trichotomy is that a word? A die means two, tri means three, and then we can say, well, the qualities of integration we're using for so quadotomy, quadotomy, quadro. Quadroatomy, die, tri, and quadotomy. I wonder what the epistemology, no, not the epistemology, the etymology of otomy is. That would be interesting. But I digress. We've got our four points of integration, and now, well, now we can move on to some categories. So each of these four things, these qualities, We're now going to apply to categories of things in your life. And before we do that, maybe we should say a little bit more about, like, what is is integration more sort of basically? Like, when do you, how do you know if you need to do integration? And what is integration work? Like, what what are you doing, actually? And in essence, it's contemplation. It means sitting down with your eyes closed and your legs crossed or in whatever position you find comfortable and thinking it through. It's introspection and it's thinking. It's all of the mind. It's your intellect. It's your inner voice. And that's pretty much it in a nutshell. And there are other processes too, like you can talk about it, like you can talk through what's happened or what's happening. Or you can write about it. But basically it's it's a reflecting. It's a it's you're not doing what's happening now. You're actually going back into the past or you're going back over something. And what what do you need to integrate? Like what do you normally apply this to? And most commonly I find that it's a big event in your life. It's something of significance. It's a peak experience or a, I I could say trauma, like this does also apply to trauma. This is really integrating trauma is a very, it it is an approach to trauma, but sometimes this is a late, like if we're applying this to trauma, it's a late stage application. If you've got trauma, then you first need to uncover the trauma. And you first need to, well, you have to re-experience in some ways the trauma to integrate it. And actually, that's a good way of looking at what you need to integrate. So if we have a scale of intense experiences on one axiom, and then how many times they have occurred on another axiom, 
then we can get a picture of what needs to be integrated. So say you have a really, really powerfully intense experience, but you only have it once. Well, then you can do some integration or you can do some lesser versions of that one powerful experience. Like if it's a really unique experience and it's the first time you've ever had that experience, it's completely new, then we're talking about something massive. There's a huge shock for you. Now, that's going to require a lot of integration. But really, integration in that situation is... is not the only approach because you can just have the experience again because once it becomes more familiar to you, well, then you're starting the integration process naturally. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, let's say you have like a really boring situation which is not significant to you at all and it happens all the time. Well, those moments you don't need to integrate. Those are the things you're not worried about. Those things are integrated by just how many times you've done them, by how many famil- how much familiarity you have with them. So intensity and familiarity are the components or the gauges of what needs integrating. And in a nutshell, you're sitting and contemplating it and thinking it through. And what happens is, say, say we go to our scenario where you've had this one giant extreme experience. If you sit down to integrate that experience by simply thinking about it, strangely enough, what will actually happen is you will re-experience it. You'll actually cross that boundary between thinking and experiencing or thinking and feeling. Because when we have an experience, it doesn't make an impression on just the mind. It makes an impression on our nervous system and our emotional body. Which means that it needs to be integrated on all levels. And that brings us nicely to our categories. So here are some categories of things to integrate. And... With these, keep in mind this sort of giant peak experience or this rare experience that you might have had, whether it be a trauma or a positive experience, like a a mystical awakening or something like that. Categories, and this is not exhaustive. Number one, feelings. You can apply the qualities of integration to feelings. Number two, ideas. You can apply the qualities of integration to ideas that you have. Number three, you can apply the qualities of integration to experiences. Number four, you can apply the qualities of integration to an attitude. 
Number five, you can apply the qualities of integration to thoughts. Number six, you can apply the qualities of integration to words. So let's take a look at what that means. Do you know what it means to move in and out freely of your feelings? Do you know what it means to realize that a feeling will pass and a feeling is coming on and it will have its process and so on? It has its roller coaster. Can you ride the roller coaster of feelings? freely by moving in and out freely and do you realize that it may reoccur or it may not reoccur can you recognize that how you feel right now might be the last time you feel this way and when you have certain feelings can you remind yourself that this might happen again. And it might be that that's what's actually driving you, is that you're having a feeling again that you didn't want. But that's a big... There's a lot of different options there. I'm just seeing a big web of, like, the fork, the fork in the road has now become <laughs> a hundred roads all going off in different directions. And can you collapse, hold, and create contradictions of feelings? What does it mean to collapse a contradiction of feelings? Well, do you know that each feeling has an opposite? Happy, sad, fear, love, up, down dark, light, and so on? And what does it mean to hold the contradiction of feelings? Can you be con Have you ever had that moment where you say, I don't know how I feel. I sort of feel this over here, but also this over here. Well, that's where you need to hold the contradiction of feelings. And what about creating a contradiction? Well, if you're sad, isn't that the trick? What's the contradiction of if you're feeling sad, down, blue, and lonely? If only you could create a contradiction there. What's the opposite? What do I need to pull myself up out of my bootstraps by, with, how? And what about this one? Recognizing correct and incorrect forms of feeling. Can you have an authentic feeling? Have you ever asked yourself, Am I feeling the right way about this? Do I feel the right way about this? You've got your feelings all wrong. Your feelings are just messed up. This is how you should feel about this. Have you ever had a conversation with a friend? And they say, I can't believe how you feel. I can't believe you feel that way about this. And sometimes that's a positive thing. They say, wow, I can't believe that meant so much to you. And what about ideas? This is another category. Can you move in and out of ideas freely? 
And you see when an idea is overtaking your mind, it's having a picnic in your mind. And when someone's giving you an idea or someone's suggesting something to you or you're reading about something in a book, can you move into that idea and say, oh, let's really, let's really look at this. Let's, let's take this idea on. Are we being open-minded? And what about moving out of it freely? This really is the secret to neuroses. Like neuroses is just the same thing over and over again. You're just thinking the same idea and you're walking around applying this one idea to everything and you're stuck in this idea and everything looks like this idea and everything is interpreted through this idea. And all your behaviors and all your goals and all the things you're working on are all just based on this one idea. Whereas really if you had this idea integrated into your being, you could move in and out of it freely. And also, you may know when it reoccurs. You, you will know that it may reoccur or may not reoccur. Have you ever noticed that you've sort of got these ideas bouncing around and then a few months later you've completely forgotten about them and then somehow they resurface and you, can, and you think, oh, yeah, I used to think that all the time. I used to be obsessed with that idea. I used to be talking to everyone about that. <laughs> and what does it mean when it resurfaces? Can you make sense or not make sense, but more make peace with the fact that you've dropped an idea? And if it reoccurs, can you still have the things you learnt while you were in that idea, while you were operating under that idea. Okay, what about this one for ideas? Collapse, hold, or create contradictions. Can you collapse the contradictions of ideas, or an idea with another idea? Or an idea with a new piece of evidence that really tells you something about the structure of your ideas is how you collapse contradictions or how you hold contradictions or how you create contradictions. And really you need to know which one of those three applies correctly. That sort of gets to our fourth point very nicely, which is how do you recognize correct and incorrect forms of an idea? That's like saying, no, you've got the idea wrong. That's not what that idea is all about. These sorts of phrases is what you say to someone when they're, they're thinking, they think they think what they are thinking is the idea. And then you start to see, well, that's not the idea. You've got, the, you've got sort of the idea. You've got an incomplete idea. And what are ideas for? Can you have a beautiful idea and an ugly idea? And can you see how some ideas are beautiful in some forms and ugly in others? What about experiences? Can you move in and out 
freely of experiences. This is a big one. Experience really is a huge category. It's a very deep category. So if you've integrated your experiences, you can move in and out of it freely. So think of, because experiences is so complex, let's sort of take a component of experiences and bring it down to a scenario or a a situation, like an external world situation. So think of a physical location, like a really tangible place where there was specific people, a specific type of architecture or building that you were in, like your your school or in hospital or in work or in something like I'm just thinking of random random situations that people are in. I don't know what could really serve as a good example. Well well think of it like this. If you're in a if you're in a situation every day, like if you're going to work every day, you're not saying, oh, I need to integrate this. Well, well, maybe we can actually. Like, what does it mean to integrate going to work today, going to work every day? Well, it means to move in and out of it freely. Okay, so let's, let's, take, this, let's, let's take this scenario. You've got a job in an office building. This is your job. And that's your experience. Can you move in and out freely? Do you feel attached to this job, to this environment? Could you let it go? Can you move into it without any resistance? Do you have any, oh, not another day at the office? Can you know it may reoccur or may not reoccur? It might happen again or might not happen again. You could get fired. Your job could evaporate. Or something might happen in the economy, which means your job doesn't work out to be available to you anymore. And at that point, well, it might happen again or it might not happen again. And what about collapsing, holding and creating contradictions? When you're in a situation, well, there is a strange contradiction, which is that You're in one place and you're not in another. And you do have to reconcile all the different places that you've been. And this is the this is sort of the curious thing about the you know, seeing your your boss or seeing your work colleague outside of the office. It's always there's always something, whoa, something really like, oh. And if it's something really, you know, it might be something kinky, like, oh. Saw that saw that person at the strip club or the ooh, what are they doing? You know, what are, what do they do outside of the office? That that's a that's a contradiction of situations. That's a contradiction of experiences. So can you collapse that contradiction? Can you hold that contradiction? Or can can you create a contradiction? Now if you've got an office job, you work in there, my advice to you is get out and see the world and go to somewhere. Go to a strip club. Well, I can't I can't really say that that's what you need. It's probably not the best place to start for coming out of your shell, but okay, let's not pick on the office people anymore. What about for the last quality of integration, 
for this category of experiences? What about recognizing correct and incorrect forms of the situation? Is this, does this situation seem right to you? Is this how it should be? Is this a beautiful situation? Is this situation the way God intended it to be? <laughs> See, this really gets to the core of your intuition and brings you back to your real sense of meaning, your sense of beauty when you ask yourself this. Can you recognize the correct and the incorrect forms? Now, if in your, you're in your office job, you can use this to actually navigate. You can do it for hiring. You can do it for training. You can do it for actually becoming quite successful because you can say, well, he's the right man for the job. These are the right people on the board or these are the right people on this team. These are the right people on this project. And you can work all that out by simply asking yourself, is this the correct form or the incorrect form of this situation? Is this how this situation is meant to play out? And if you walk that path further and longer, or you keep actualizing, you keep self-realizing, you might end up in the point where you say, I'm in this office and this whole situation is wrong. It's completely wrong. This is not where I was intended to be. This is not what I was intended to do. There's nothing beautiful about this at all. I quit. I've had enough of this. <laughs> and there's a big dramatic, uh, and everyone claps and cheers as you pack up your desk and walk out. And then you can go to the strip club. No, don't do that. Go to go on your spiritual journey and find meditation. <laughs> so that's recognizing the correct and the incorrect forms of an experience. What about an attitude? Do you know what the correct or incorrect form of an attitude is? Can you move in and out freely of an attitude? Do you know what, do you know what it means to integrate an attitude? I mean, this is a funny one because we, we have different attitudes, but we never think to integrate them. We never think to actually take them on as these things we're conscious of, to move into consciously. Because we do have a wealth of different attitudes. We've tried different attitudes out. And this is, similar, this is similar to ideas. If we're bouncing around with ideas of like, oh, I should be doing this. It's more like an idea that's in relation to our role, our way of behaving in a collective or an environment. And what about thoughts? What about integrating thoughts? Can you move in and out freely of thoughts? Can you know it may occur again or it may not? You can ask yourself, what, what thoughts could you hope will reoccur again? What are the thoughts you hope you'll remember? What are the thoughts you hope you will keep as a part of you? And that can give you some idea about what you want to integrate or what you need to integrate and how you can integrate it. Because if you have a thought, well, thoughts are pretty elusive. Thoughts are pretty flimsical. 
when it comes to whether or not they're going to occur again or not, well, that's that's a pretty interesting application. And then and there's like the day-to-day sort of example of this, or I hope I remember to take the trash out, or I hope I remember to do that task, or I really need to remember to do this thing. It's just a matter of remembering. So if you've integrated a if you've integrated a thought and it's something sort of mundane and you just need to remember it, then you've recognized that I might actually forget this, but I need to remember it. So I'm going to write it down or I'm going to make the mental note of to say, don't forget this. You really need to remember this. And that's sort of like integrating this point by confronting this fact that it may occur or it may not occur. And this is fun. This is so fun. Look at this one. Point three of the qualities of integration. Collapse, hold, or create contradictions. Can you contradict a thought? Can you collapse a contradiction of a thought? Can you hold a contradiction of a thought? This is so versatile. This is so much fun. There are so many things you can do. This is basically... This is where, like contemplation just hits it's like the highway of contemplation this is the top speed top gear straight flat road of contemplation collapse thoughts that contradiction that are that are contradictory to themselves hold thoughts in contradiction and create contradictions of thoughts now If you're contemplating and you're only doing one of these, well, you're sort of missing the other two. Say say you're only collapsing contradictions in your thoughts. Well, (laughs) what, what that is, is that's a shoot up on the peak. You're shooting upwards and you're getting higher and higher and all your contradictions are collapsing. It can be very freeing. But the problem with a, with a high is that it has a crash on the other side. It has a low. Because once those contradictions are collapsed, well, you sort of end up with a further back, deeper list of contradictions. And if you hold contradictions, if you only hold them and you're not collapsing them, well, then that'll eventually drive you mad as well. Because then everything is a contradiction and everything is wrong. And you just can't get your thoughts to work together. You can't make peace with the, the, the conflicting things in your mind. And then creating contradictions. That's really fun. That's like, that, that really is the core of the highway of contemplation is you take a thought, recognize it, and then say, now what's the opposite of that? And there's so much thinking you can do with those three little things. Contradictions is really like the, it's the petrol of the supercar going on this highway. Contradictions are the the fuel of the mind. (laughs) Because the mind is, well, the mind is binary. Look at the mind. Look at the brain. Left hemisphere, right hemisphere. It's a contradiction in itself. It loves to make contradictions. It has to see contradictions. Really, if you want to get your mind straight and vast, 
then contradictions can be your thing. Make, make integrating contradictions your thing. And what about recognizing correct and incorrect forms of a thought? Is this the right way to think about this? Is this a beautiful way to think about this? Here we're getting into sort of script analysis, or we can do cognitive behavioral therapy, or just just plain authenticity. And that's a very good question to contemplate. And the the sort of backside of this, or the sort of dark side of this, is the judging mind. So if you're judging, say you're recognizing correct or incorrect forms, well, if you've only got half of that, which is incorrect, or you're saying that's ugly, that's the, that's the judging mind. That's what, what many people refer to as the judging mind. Like that's a judgment. Why are you judging itself in such a hard way? Why are you being such a critic? Or why are you being so hard on yourself? Why are you judging yourself? Why have you got such a self-esteem issue? Why do you think so badly of yourself? That's actually doing this. That's, that's an attempt to use this quality of integration, but it's only half of it. Recognizing the correct and incorrect forms is the whole of it. And if you're only walking around saying it's wrong, then you're only recognizing the incorrect forms or the ugly forms. And what about words? This is our last category. Can you integrate words? Do you know what it means to integrate a word? You really want to just pick a word. Like when you're integrating something, you need to be specific and clear about what it is you're integrating. You really need to start with that step one. And if it's a feeling, then you need to say, this is the feeling I'm integrating. Or if it's an idea... You say, this is the idea I want to integrate. Or if it's an experience or an attitude or a thought, then you say, this is the, the thing that I'm working with. And so when it comes to words, when I say integrating words, I don't mean words plural as in all words. I really mean a word. What does it mean to integrate a word, singular and you can pick something heavy. Pick something that's like, like, what's a word that's heavy to you? What's a word that resonates with you? Something like beauty or transcendence or infinity. What does it mean to integrate infinity? And really, I, th- thoughts and words, they're closely related. Like thoughts, words, and ideas, they're sort of closely related. If we have feelings, experiences, and attitudes, that's sort of like the emotional body or the sensing body. And then ideas, thoughts, and words, they're sort of like mental body or the, the causal body, the causal realm. So we've got the head, the head world and the heart world. We've got three of each in this list, in these categories. Then words are another skewer into the mind. Like if we take if we take this word beauty, 
What does it mean to move in and out freely of beauty? Can you integrate beauty by moving into it and out of it freely? And what about this one? This is a tricky one. No, it may reoccur or it may not reoccur. That can be a very tough one. That's a tough one for me personally, is knowing that the beautiful things or the beauty or all that's associated with this word beauty may not reoccur again. And yet it might. And how I feel about that reveals how integrated beauty is. And what about collapsing, holding and creating contradictions? Have you ever recognized a contradiction of beauty? Do you know what that is? It's a very curious moment. It's very subtle. It's what Basically, what happens is you have this you have this thing in you, beauty, or this word beauty, and you sort of, it, it comes up, or you tell a story about it, or you talk about it, or you, you think about it, or, or somehow it comes into your being again. And then somehow there's something which triggers a feeling like, oh, it's actually not beautiful. So if you're talking to a friend about this beautiful experience, and they're sort of not getting it, or they're not interested, or they're not resonating, or they might say something, then you can have this moment of, oh, maybe it's not beautiful. I mean, they don't think it's that beautiful. Or even sometimes actively they say, oh, I don't see the point. I don't see the beauty in that. And this can happen in in just the mind. This can just happen as you think it. And that's a contradiction of beauty. So can you see, can you bridge those two things? Can you bridge the beauty that you have and also see that, well, there are people that don't think that's beautiful. And you can recognize that contradiction or hold that contradiction. And, well, what does it mean to create a contradiction of beauty? Well, that's to contrast beauty with the ugly. It means actually understanding the ugly side of beauty. And you move into ugliness specifically and purposefully and consciously to understand beauty by way of contrast. And that's what it takes to integrate this word beauty. And words are a bit funny. Like, I don't know if words is... I mean, we can sort of say there's the mind category and the feeling category, like I said. And words is words and thoughts, sometimes they're interchangeable. So let's look at, let's look at some real examples now. That's sort of the abstract theory about it. Now let's bring it back to 
some example, some more examples. So if we've done beauty as an example of words, I mean, we could have done infinity or transcendence. But let's look at let's look at an example of feelings. How about how about we do sexuality? Have you integrated your sexuality? Now this is a good one because when we talk about a peak experience, well, that's a good example of a peak experience, the orgasm. And if you've only had sex once and it was really good, well then that would fit the category of this one experience which is very unfamiliar but very intense which means it needs to be integrated and there is a lot of intensity around sexuality sexuality is a very intense drive it's a very intense feeling there's a lot of heavy stuff surrounding sexuality so let's take this as an example like what does it mean to integrate the feeling of sexuality and we, we don't really need to categorize these examples so much either. I mean, sexuality can be, or can it be an idea? I don't know. Maybe we need to integrate our idea of sexuality and our feeling of sexuality. Maybe not. Maybe the categories break down and really we just have things that we integrate and it's just getting too complicated for the sake of navigating this place of integration. But... Let's just look at this. So sexuality as a feeling. Let's put it up against our qualities. Can you move into it and out of it freely? Can you move into your sexual arousal and move out of it freely? Is there any resistance there? Do you have resistance of going into arousal? you feel that there's some tension or guilt surrounding your sexual feelings? You feel uncomfortable. Is it very difficult for you to feel comfortable to move into a sexual feeling, either with someone or by yourself? And what happens when you're by yourself and you feel the sexual spike coming on? Can you move into it? Or is there frustration there? And what about moving out of it? Can you move out of your sexuality freely? Can you allow that feeling to leave and let go? Now, if you're in a long-term relationship, it's actually possible to not have an integrated sexuality. Simply because you have an intimate partner which you have regular sex with every now and then does not mean you know really entirely how to move in and out of it freely. And your partner might be able to help with that if your partner is aware of this. And really to to understand this, you would put it into an extreme. So you would move into it and then you would withdraw from it consciously. And there is a a lot to be learnt in being in a long-term relationship and saying, okay, let's not have sex for this amount of time. Let's not be together for this certain amount of time. And that can actually 
put a gauge on, well, how connected you are. And it can actually make you have a very strong connection. It can strengthen the connection. It can polarize it and make it much more beautiful, much more powerful. And the other side of this is, well, people go from relationship to relationship. And, well, when they're in a relationship, they're having sex and they break up. And then they have these sexual urges. They say, oh, I really need to find a partner. And then they find one. But that's not the same as moving in and out freely. Really, the person that can either be in a relationship or not is someone who can move in and out of their sexual feelings freely. They've got their sexuality integrated. And what about this point? No, it may reoccur or it may not reoccur. So you start to see how these are similar points. You start to see the overlap of these qualities in integration. Can you be okay with a sexual feeling that might come again? Or it might not. You might not come again, (laughs) in a manner of speaking. And what about this one? Collapse, hold, and create contradictions. Do you know what it means to collapse a contradiction in your sexual feelings? Do you know what it means to hold a contradiction? For many of us, we think sex can just be a simple like, yeah, it's great, I just want it. There's no contradiction there. But actually, if you dig a little bit deeper, you can see there are contradictions there. Because you can say, well, do you want it with just anyone? Do you want it at some expense? Do you want it to violate your sense of self-worth? Do you want it to encroach upon your projects, your ideas, the things that you're working on? And that would be the scenario where you're having regular sex with someone, but they're not the right partner for you. They're not the right person. And that's a contradiction of feelings because you feel feel really great when you're having sex or you, you think you're feeling great. You're not really. And then you're having arguments or you're going in different directions or just your scheduling's not working and they're just not the right partner for you. It's just not right. You have these bad feelings like, oh... I really need, I think I need to leave this person, but I don't really want to because this and that. That's a contradiction of the feelings. It's a contradiction that's not, well, well, it could be that you're holding the contradiction when you should be collapsing the contradiction. (laughs) And what about creating the contradiction? Can you contradict a feeling? By understanding what it what is its opposite. What does it mean really to let go of it or go out of it in an extreme way so that I'm doing the opposite of it? And to integrate sexuality, well, you need to recognize correct and incorrect forms. Can you see when your sexuality is being beautiful? Can you see when your 
sexuality as being ugly? Can you recognize sexuality in an ugly way? Like what, what does it mean to have? Can you, can you look at, can you judge someone else? Like judge the porn industry. Is that something beautiful? Is that the correct form of sexuality? Is that the kind of, <laughs> am I really saying this? I don't believe I'm about to say this. I, I, I'm going to say it, but don't <laughs> t- take it as a joke when I say this. Is this how, is this how sexuality was intended by God? <laughs> oh, yes, we're a bit silly today, aren't we? There's something funny about invoking God, isn't there? I mean, I shouldn't, I guess I shouldn't play around with it so much, but I guess today it's feeling very funny. But let's get back on topic. This recognizing the correct and incorrect forms of sexuality. So that can go personally for you and for others and how you think of sexuality in general. So how you go with these four points tells you how integrated your sexuality is. And if you want to integrate your sexuality, well, learn to move in and out of it freely. Recognize that it may reoccur or not. Collapse, hold and create contradictions. And recognize the correct and the incorrect forms. Even if you just do one of these points for your sexuality, you can make a lot of headway. Just taking this last point, like, is it correct or incorrect? Is it right or wrong? Is it beautiful or ugly? Good or bad? Light or dark? You can use that as a very simple navigation for your sexuality. Whenever you have a sexual feeling coming on, or when you're contemplating sex, or when you're having a sexual fantasy, or when you're having sex, or whatever, when you're remembering some sex, any of these situations, anything to do with sex, you just say, is this right or is this wrong? And hold yourself to it. And this will build your authenticity. This will build the thing in you which is able to do the integration. This will create the thing in you that is integrated. It's the integrated self being born. You're creating an integrated self. And what else can we do? Like, what's another example from this? Like, what about the attitude of dedication? Do you know what that means to be dedicated? Have you ever tried this as an attitude? Like, I'm going to be dedicated. I'm going to be dedicated to the cause. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to work hard at this. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Well, is dedicated integrated for you? Is dedication something that you can switch on and off? Or is it something that you have to warm up to? Something that has to take time to come on? Do you have to really think about it? Or do you have to be convinced by it? Or you're very selective about what you're dedicated towards? What does it mean to move in and out freely of this attitude of dedication? 
Can you contradict your dedication? And really, someone who's someone who's very dedicated. If you're if you've integrated, the more you've integrated your attitude of dedication, the stronger you can be with it. By by look at this. The, the contradiction of dedication is, well, what? You just give up. You say, I'm not interested. I quit. When you're not dedicated, you quit. And someone who knows they can do that, someone who understands what it means to quit, someone who's ready to quit, can actually be very dedicated. They can be very strongly for a cause when they know I can walk away from this anytime. So integration also strengthens qualities or attitudes. So if you have an integrated attitude, such as dedication, it's going to be much more functional. It's going to be much more optimal. And it's going to be just much better all round for your being. And the list goes on. Like we can integrate certain thoughts like am I good or am I bad? We can integrate experiences like we might have had experiences on a meditation retreat or in a situation traveling or a scenario at work, or a social situation, or an event. We can integrate ideas like multidimensional thinking, or the idea of, well, what about the idea of integration? Can you integrate integration? You realize that that's possible? What does it mean to integrate integration? Well, can you move in and out of it freely? Can you know that it may occur or may not occur? Maybe you don't need integration for some things. Can you see where integration doesn't apply? Can you see when there's no point trying to integrate something? You might just not want to. It might not be the right process. You might need to navigate instead or have mastery or just have plain unknowing. I want to leave that one to the void. I want to leave that one out there. Integrating integration also means recognizing the correct and the incorrect forms. Can you see where you're incorrectly integrating something? <laughs> Whoa, this is getting... <laughs> This is getting so meta that my mind's starting to hurt. I mean, when when did your brain start hurting? <laughs> well, not not hurting, I should say tickling. Maybe that's that's the word. Starting to have some brain tickle. Integrating integration with the principles of integration on themselves. Can you recognize See, see we just get in a cognitive change if we if we make these small, we can just say, can you correct can you recognize the correct and incorrect forms of things that are correct and incorrect, correctly and incorrectly. <laughs> if we make these like a small, like you can think of a small circle, like think of a piece of string. It's a very small piece of string. 
and it's floating around like a worm. Then it floats around, floats through the air, then you think, oh, that's a pretty little piece of string. But then if the string attaches itself to the other end, like the, what is it, the Ouroboros snake, then it's, then it's a little circle going around and around in circles. That's what's happening here. But if we have long pieces of string into a web, well, then it works. Then that's what we're working on. That's the difference here. That's the cognitive difference. So can you recognize correct, incorrect forms? And well, you see what I just did. I just laid out the correct and the incorrect forms of recognizing the incorrect and incorrect forms and correct forms. And I did it correctly and incorrectly. And I demonstrated, well, what is the correct way of doing it and the incorrect way of doing it, explaining it, understanding it by way of metaphor. So if words are string, let's just, let me just try and re-hit that again so it's clear. If words are string, then what we're building here with qualities of integration and categories is a web. So we have long bits of string and they look like a spider web. But if we apply one of these principles to themselves, then what we get is a very short piece of string which is attached itself at both ends and is going around in circles. So I hope that's okay of a metaphor to abstractly explain the cognitive shapes of what's happening in this conversation. So I've got two more examples to go through. One is pain. Can you integrate pain? This is a powerful experiential one. And really this gets back to trauma. This gets back to the dark side of integration. And it can be very healing to integrate pain. It can be a lot of lessons to be learnt in integrating pain. And it might be physical pain. It might be emotional pain. It might be mental pain. It could also be interpersonal pain. You have a pain in a relationship. You know what it means to integrate a relationship that hurts you? And you recognize that that might happen again. Or may not. And how, do, how does that feel? You can see that here, here's, a, here's a good test of something, of asking yourself whether something is integrated or not. If this situation occurred again, would I be able to use the things I had learnt the first time it happened? Say there was a relationship that hurt you. Well, there was a conversation where you got upset. Now, if you've integrated that, you've taken time to think about it, you've contemplated it, you've made some sense of it, you've recognized the correct forms or the incorrect forms of it or the right thing to do or the wrong things you did, then the next time it comes up, you should be better at it. You should be more integrated. 
And that's what it means to integrate pain. To be able to move in and out freely. To be able to see what the better version is. The better way of working with it is. And it's a bit personal when we talk about the experiential side of it. When we're talking about experiences, it's very different to, oh, I should have said the right thing to that person. To integrate a feeling, well, like we said of what's integrating is like, is you can actually think about it again and again to relive that experience and it becomes more familiar to you. Sometimes pain needs to become familiar. Now, I don't, of course, I never would wish pain upon someone. I would never say go out to put pain on on yourself. If you're looking for things to integrate or, or, or say you're sitting there and you feel, I feel like I've already integrated everything. Well, then maybe that's not the right time for you. Maybe you need to go out and have a peak experience. And you need to have something to integrate. Now, we can always say, well, you're just not looking hard enough because there's always more integration to doing to do. And that sort of brings me to another question, which is, is there such thing as fully integrated? Which is a good question, but it's an absolute question. It's a question that implies an absolute, so it's a trick question. And the answer is, everyone is equally... No, wait, what is it? Everyone is... Everyone is equal... Everyone is equally integrated. It's just that some some people are more equal than others. <laughs> That's the answer to that question. <laughs> Thanks to George Orwell and his book, Animal Farm. <laughs> and the last one I, I was thinking about recently was what does it mean to integrate a lifestyle like this is really fun or not fun but interesting and sort of opens up a lot about like my life like if I look at my life and what's happening and how it is then I can say that what I have now is a lifestyle. And if I reflect a bit, I can say, well, my lifestyle now is very different to the lifestyle I had some time ago. Now, in my case, in my personal case, in the case of Dosta, it's a very big contrast. I had a very different lifestyle. And I've had many very contrasting lifestyles. Which means I need to do a lot of integration work. Because there's a big contrast. There's an extreme. And they weren't all entirely familiar to me. Certain lifestyles that I lived. And lifestyle is a complicated one because... Well, when we talk about feelings, it's like, well, we're talking about an emotion. If we're talking about an idea, well, at least an idea has some sort of start and end to it. And experiences or situations 
They're sort of scenarios or one-offs, and experiences do have a lot of parameters. And thoughts, well, they're smaller and faster moving, and words, well, a word is pretty foundational. But a lifestyle, a lifestyle is, what is a lifestyle? It's sort of like a collection of feelings. It's a collection of experiences and situations. It's, it's a few habits. It's a few different environments. It's your schedule. It's a climate. It's a geography. It's a part of a culture. It's in a time and place. And lifestyle is, well, is it up to the individual? Is it entirely their choice of lifestyle? Well, no, not always. Not exactly. We all have strings attached. We all have things on us or responsibilities or things that we'd wished we'd do more of or things we did wish we did less of and so on. Or things that we wish we could do which we can't do just because of whatever, because of our own, well, our own mastery or the resources that are available to us or not available to us. So integrating a lifestyle, understanding lifestyles by way of contrast, knowing how to let go of a lifestyle, knowing that maybe this is the last time I'll be able to live like this. Well, that's a funny thought, is what happens if my lifestyle changes? What happens if things in life change dramatically and drastically and suddenly? And can I recognize the beauty of this lifestyle? Can I see what's wrong with this lifestyle? And there's a lot in that. There's a lot in integrating a lifestyle. So I hope this gives some sort of sense of what there is to work on and contemplate. And integration, well, it does tie back to self-mastery or life mastery, dare I say, and also navigating reality. Because if you can integrate all these things or you can build up the skill of integration on multiple planes, then you're really starting to navigate parts of your being, your feelings, your ideas, your experiences, your attitudes, your thoughts, your words. And by navigating them better, well, then you're gaining a mastery, a kind of mastery. So navigating mastery and integration, they do collapse, they do become a bit mysterious. And we can say, well, What's the thing that's doing the integration? Who is it that's integrating? What, what are we actually integrating on? Like we say, we say my life or my feelings like I own them, like they're these tangible things. But are they really? And this is adding the sort of self-inquiry component to in- integration. And self-inquiry is very different to contemplation. So if we think of contemplation as just sorting out the, the arrangement of our room, 
in the house, where the bed goes, where the books go, where the CDs go, and so on, then inquiry is actually looking at like, what is this house? What is this house made of? What are these walls made of? We're looking into the very structure itself. We're inquiring into the nature of experience. Because it's one thing to, say, integrate a feeling and go into a feeling with awareness and for the purposes of consciously understanding it. But it's another thing to inquire into the nature of feeling itself. To actually experientially confront what a feeling is in its most fundamental sense. So it's about here that we start to venture off into sort of different and deeper waters. So we've already had a lot to chew on. There's a lot in integration. And you can... Just learning when you need to integrate is also a skill in and of itself. Like you can just take this idea of integration and start working with it and it will open things up for you. You can just take it as a toolkit, a, bo- a, a, a tool in your box of tools. But if there are certain things in your life that are significant or things that you don't understand or things that are mysterious to you or and and now now it sort of sounds like is the point of integration to collapse the mysteriousness or to collapse the unknown well yes in a sense like when we have these peak experiences they're mystical and they're unknown and there's no way of making sense of them and integration is making them well more familiar and in a sense less magical They're more normal. And so you get a new normal. But it's not the same normal as before. It's not the same as going back to normal. If you've you've disassociated, if you've denied it, or you've repressed it, then that's not integration. You haven't learned the lessons there. You're not moving in and out of it freely. And that's the difference between integration and repression. And if you've had some trauma, so you've had this powerful experience and you've had trauma, and then you've repressed it, well, then you need to uncover that repression first, and then you integrate it. So integration is like a late-stage process. If we're talking really broadly, like if we zoom right out, then there are steps that we need to put, depending on your circumstances, before integration. But you can still work with it. It's it's very hard. Like I can't give advice. Like I can't give advice on that because, and I can't say who or what or how or where or when or any of that applies because it's all individual. It's entirely up to well, what is the experience that you've had? So that's a lot to chew on. I hope this has been clear. I hope you've been able to see how deep it goes, how far it goes. And it really can open up so many aspects of your life. And there's still more to come. (laughs) 
So now we can just sit down and let's let's do some contemplation to finish. So sit down. If it's comfortable for you to do so, stop what you're doing and sit in a relaxed way. Close your eyes. Take a few deep breaths. And just find something to think through. Just find something to think about. Something small. It could be an idea or a situation or a person. It could be a feeling you've had or something that happened to you. Just pick something and say, this is what you want to integrate now. We just want to do some integration work on this one thing and make make it clear and simple what it is you're integrating. And say to yourself, this is what I am integrating. And just be clear about that thing. And now ask yourself, what does it mean or what would it look like if I was to be able to move in and out of this freely? What would I be like if I could move in and out of this thing freely? And now keep this thing in mind, keep this where it is, keep concentrating on it, and now ask yourself, with this thing that we're trying to integrate, what would it be like for me to know that this might reoccur, or it might not reoccur? Just take a look at the first half of this and think through what would happen if this reoccurred to me? What happens when this happens again? What is it like for me when this thing that we're integrating happens again? And now take this thing, draw your attention back to what it is we're trying to integrate. Concentrate on what it is that we're working with. Just remind yourself of what it is we're working with here. And just say, this is what we're integrating. And ask yourself, what happens if this never happens again? What would I be like if it never occurred again? What would I be like if it disappeared?
And now let's look at this thing. And let's see the contradictions. Can you see what a contradiction looks like? Can you feel how you feel when this thing is contradicted? And really notice how you are with the idea that there are contradictions. Can you hold a contradiction? Can you create a contradiction? Do you know what it means to contradict this thing? And now... Again, bring yourself back to the object of integration. And recognize that this thing has a beautiful manifestation and an ugly manifestation. This thing can be beautiful. And it can be ugly. And notice what it means to recognize those two forms in this thing, in this object of integration. And now draw your attention back to the thing that you are integrating. Again, remind yourself, this is what we are working with. This is what you are integrating. And your mind might want to think about other things. You might want to do other things. But just sit quietly, remain still, and draw your attention back again to what it is you are integrating. And just sit quietly and think through this thing and contemplate this thing and be in silence as you integrate. And that's all I have to say for now.